It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors annual sales event now on. One-off price reductions and special APR finance available during this event. Call in today and save thousands at Blackstone Motors, Jada and Dundalk. You're very welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Great to have you with us again this Wednesday afternoon. Lots of chat and guests to meet over the next couple of hours, including our own Eddie Caffrey, who was honoured at the big LMFM Country Night last night with a Lifetime Achievement Award. Eddie's going to be popping in for a chat with us, 40 years of the green scene. Yes, a lot of ground to cover with Eddie a little bit later on. And if you're interested in taking on hens in your life or rescuing hens that have been in a deep litter or a battery environment, Pauline McGlynn, you know, Father Ted, the actress, she's with us later on and she's a patron of a charity who rescues hens. We're going to hear about that and more besides. But first up on today's show, I have a returning guest. We met her earlier in the, in the year on late lunch in the context of her mess chef business. Today, Roisin Matthews is back with us, but on an entirely different tack. You're very welcome to the show, Roisin. Thank you very much, Good Jerry. to see nice you to again. Uh, well, y- you surprised me, to be honest <laughs> with you, when I picked up the Times at the weekend, and there you are smiling out at me. <laughs> Tell me this, Airbnb, I don't know an awful lot about it, to be honest with you. I've never booked it or used it. You became an Airbnb host. I did, yeah. How did it happen? Well, it happened because um, we were in a position where uh, we have a tiny little house in Drogheda that we um, renovated and we were very attached to. Second baby came along and we needed to go and find some more space. And I was just too attached to the house to let it go and I didn't know what to do. And renting it out on Airbnb gave us a time to, uh, I suppose rent it out without uh, too much commitment so that we could give it a go, decide what we wanted to do long term. Now that's interesting and and, and I thought I'm sure for people who'd find themselves in your position. Mm. How did you go about this? Was it complicated to, to put it up on Airbnb? It's No, it's a very easy process. In order to have a good listing you do need to put a lot of work in but the to get a, a, a property launched on the Airbnb website you could do in a matter of minutes getting a really good listing with the right kind of photos and the right information will take a little bit more um, effort and input. But yeah, it's a, it is an easy process. Okay, but you're indicating there that you're better spending time and getting the best listing you can. Absolutely, yes. You did that? Yes, I put a lot of effort into it. And I'm t- trying to put myself in your shoes, so you put it up then, up it goes. Yes, what happens from there? Do you remember the first bite? Um, yeah, well, I started getting bookings within a day or two. Yeah, it was really straight off the bat. Yeah, it was incredible. Did that surprise you? Yes. Well, I didn't really know what to expect. Mm. We were very much taking a risk. Okay. And we didn't, but within the first summer, I was I was probably about 80% booked. And tell me this, you love this little place. You said yes. it yourself and you yeah. wanted to be very careful with it. Have you bona fides on the other side with people booking? You know what I mean? Do you know who they are? Can you well, be sure yes. they're 
you can you can set up different uh, standards on Airbnb. So the the website will only rent to people um, who have an account with them. Um, you have to prove who you are. You have to provide verification of your uh, by your passport or driver's license or whatever it might be. And then the people that you have stayed with, as if you are a guest, the host can uh, review you as well as you reviewing. The, I see. Like, That's the, really uh, good. Yeah, the accommodation. So yes. you can gain comfort from that. Yeah. Do you remember the first booking you took? Or you 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 gave the place to? Yes. Yeah. Were they lo- who were they? I'm just they were local. Get- yeah, they were local. Well, I mean, they were um, from a couple of hours drive away, and were coming to go to Tato Park, a family. Okay, yeah. and they wanted to stay. Yes. What typically or who typically were the bookings coming from? Were they mostly within Ireland? Were the people with connections with the the northeast here or what? It was a mixture between Irish families looking to uh, Irish families living abroad who were coming back to Drogheda and maybe there wasn't enough um, maybe room with the in-laws or the mammy to to stay for their summer holidays whatever it might be. So I got a good few bookings like that of people who were living really anywhere around the world Israel America um, Australia, who were coming back to visit family during school holidays, midterms, etc. And they wanted the bit more space, especially if they have older children who want Wi-Fi, they want a bit of space, they want okay. to be able to go into a separate room to the parents and I all understand. of that. Yeah. I understand. What about people coming visiting Ireland? Did you pick up visitors from abroad? Yes. Yeah. And is that more demanding? The people who are coming home or have connections here, are they an they, easier proposition? They are. They're very easy because they know where they're, they, they're all set up. They know the town. They know how to, well, they'd be, at least be somewhat familiar with where they're going. And they have their own family, let's say, also as a support in terms of if they do need to know where to park, where to go, where to buy this, where, you know, they have other supports, not mm. just you. If you have somebody coming from abroad for a holiday in Ireland, they're solely relying on you for local information. Okay, so that emphasis falls on you. Besides presenting the premises in the best condition, etc., they're looking to you to guide them in a way as well. Yes, absolutely. But I did have a a good few uh, French and German visitors, but they're very organised. They'd have their itineraries down to a T before they arrive. (laughs) I'm sure the Germans know more about where we live than we do ourselves, (laughs) to be honest, which I know what you're saying. Uh, Certainly. For, For you, how did you find it? Was this challenging? It's a lot of work, without a doubt. I treated it as a part-time job. And when you look at it like that, it's worthwhile. If I was to work full-time in an office somewhere and try and do this in my spare time, it would have been too much. I don't think I could have handled that sort of extra work. Because when you think about it, you don't just have the guests that come to you. You also have inquiries from other guests. So you will get a lot of emails in with people asking, well, is this... Uh, property suitable to bring my pet can I you know the various queries and you have to answer all of those as well as the business that you actually get there's all the other inquiries so you're saying clearly today to anybody listening if you hold down a full-time job and you're busy this is not for you and not to do it full not to try and rent a property full-time if you're renting a room in your house and you want to meet people and you want to maybe block off certain dates and just allow people to come at certain times of the year then, yeah, absolutely, you know, make it, it can be a very interesting part-time job mm-hmm. for you. But this suited you entirely with your life circumstances, with small children, with yes. your other business that I mentioned there, Mess Chef as well. Yes. So this sat with that. Are, are visitors demanding? Um, not, they're not intentionally. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, I suppose some people are inclined to ask you every single little thing without maybe looking in the press first or... Um, <laughs> trying to you know so you get some people who ask a lot of questions Roshin, I even do that at home <laughs> ask them you know what I mean it, it, bite your nose off you know you hear that saying <laughs> yeah, it, it's yeah. in front of you there it's in the drawer it's here there. I know what you're saying yeah. I know what you're saying um, in terms of presenting uh, your house and the changeover you know when somebody leaves yes. and somebody else arrives can that be a quick flip or do you get time to do that well you have to leave plenty of time in case that there's uh, a lot more work to be done than you expect so you need to leave um, a good few hours I did end up getting um, a cleaner to help me certainly in the last six months of doing it because my other business had picked up with Mess Chef so I needed um, a little bit of help with that but um, it can be quite a quick process and it's one of the more enjoyable things because when you are 
finished cleaning the house and, and making sure it's ready for the next person you're seeing them walking in on their holidays and you might have like the little bunch of flowers on the table or uh, you know making sure that there's uh, I get the Ariosa coffee in you see and all those <laughs> Um, to have it nice for them. And it's it's nice to think that people are going to walk in on their holidays and enjoy the place. And that is definitely one of the nicer parts of it. So those little touches are very important. They are, yeah. And making that initial impression on your guests. Yes, and it's nice to do it as well. It's nice to know as if, you know, when you're having another small family with young children arriving, it's nice to think, well, what would I like when I arrive? You know. Put yourself in their yeah. shoes. Yeah. Um Reviews, because you get reviewed. I do know this about the Airbnb. Yes. How, were they always good? Yes, I would say uh, 90%. Yeah, more than 90%. I had very good reviews. The odd time somebody would um, say something like, uh, I remember I had one person say that they, uh, the area wasn't what they expected. And yes, the description was given exactly. It's a town centre location, close to pubs. And that was made very obvious because you don't want to overpromise. You know, want to people to know what they're getting. And um, yeah, certainly I had one review where they, I don't know, maybe they hadn't read it first. But, um, <laughs> Did yeah. that annoy you a little? A little, yeah. yeah I, could see, I just love at your reaction there. Oh, yeah. You'd love to, but obviously... You, 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 you it know, is what it is. It Most is, reviews yeah. are, mm. are good, yeah. I take it <laughs> you got a few contacts. Did you do it? When did you give up? That's what I wanted to ask you. When did you come I out of it? I gave up um, just at the beginning of September. Um, so you got the flower of it? I got the flower out of it. <laughs> I'd say you were in demand, were you? Um, well, I actually had a local business take it for the flower this year because they booked it last year because the, the staff didn't get to enjoy the flower last year because they didn't um, have any. They all had to go and find somewhere to go. So this year they rented a local. Okay, so that was grand. So you, you, you gave up in September. Yes. For any particular reason? I gave up because the regulations have changed and you're no longer allowed to rent a second home fully like that on Airbnb or any short-term letting um, if it's in a rent pressure zone. And the rent pressure zones have been extended to a lot of areas. So at this stage, Airbnb should really be reduced down to mostly people renting a room in their own homes rather than renting at a whole property as I was doing. God, that's why I've learned something today from you mm. telling me that because this is a designated and an awful lot of the North East now is yes. designated as rent pressure zones. Yes. So that takes all those properties out of the Airbnb equation. It should. <laughs> it should. Whether it has or not. I think not. I might be in the minority. Oh, but, oh, um, you know this country, the nod mm-hmm. and the wink brigade and don't say happen and it'll be all right. <laughs> They're everywhere and it's in everything in Irish life, isn't yes. it? Well, I'm sure at some stage the councils will get a little bit more equipped with enforcing it, but I don't know if there's much enforcement at the moment. Mm. So... Were you glad to say goodbye to it, or did you feel a little? You put your you put a lot into this. I, put I know you. A lot you. of effort into it, and I was I felt I felt annoyed at first. Yeah, without a doubt, I felt annoyed that I was going to have to give it up. Um, there's an awful lot of investment in it as well, um, and just in, in things that you wouldn't need for a long term rental property, just in terms of towels, bed clothes, um, all of the contents of the house apart from furniture, let's say. There's not a lot of investment gone into mm. all of that. And you're basically being told that you have to give it up without any compensation. Also, I was left in a position which the government haven't really, um, I don't think they've really concentrated on at all, is that as an Airbnb host, if you cancel a booking of somebody who's booked with you, you are fined by Airbnb. So before the regulations even came in, I would have had bookings for the sum, for summer 2019. When the regulations came in, by rights, I should have cancelled all of those bookings and it would have left me with a huge bill. There was no, there was no guidance on how to deal with that. Mm. So I cut off my bookings from September and I honoured all of the bookings that had been made before that. But I suppose there was two months there where technically I shouldn't have been. So that was a difficult position. That's a real anomaly, isn't it? Mm. And, and a difficulty for people. Yeah, yeah, and it's difficult to know what's the best to do. Um, it's difficult to find out the information of what you should do. I did call the council. Um, and yeah, you're a little bit left in limbo. So that's why I just drew a line in the sand where my bookings stopped, um, where the last booking I had had in advance, let's say, and I, I blocked off the dates from there on in so that I would have, an, you know, mm. the, uh, somewhere that I could rent it out full time from then. Have you been an Airbnb user yourself? Yes, I have. Yes, In absolutely. this country or abroad? Both. Yeah. And how did you find it? 
Oh, I think it's brilliant. I think it's brilliant, especially as a uh, with a uh, house for a young family. If we're going abroad, or if we're going away in Ireland now, it's lovely to go into a home that is already equipped for children. It's brilliant. Um, you often get Airbnb hosts who will leave toys that are age appropriate, and there's nothing that keeps a three year old and a five year old happier than walking into the bedroom of their holiday home to find the um, the latest toys. Well, maybe not the latest toys, yeah, but, but any toys yeah, at of all. Um, and that's really, really uh, an advantage of it, and having your own space. Um, if you go to a hotel as a small family, if you're, you know, renting a jo- or taking a joinal, adjoining rooms in a hotel is extremely expensive. Or your other option is that you're sitting in the dark, sipping your wine, trying to be quiet while the children sleep. <laughs> Not an easy ask, I have to say, of, of any parent. The good news is, though, that you mentioned Ireland. The pressure zones are really the main urban areas. Yes. So it leaves quite a selection of places to go in rural Ireland. Yes. And because we live in the town ourselves, we would be more likely to go to rural Ireland on our holidays. Yeah. So uh, that chapter is over and your experience is very interesting. I want it because I'm not that familiar with it. I have to say I've never used it myself, but I hear of lots of people who Mm. love it all over the world. It's a great resource. Yeah, yeah. it really is. And uh, interesting points you make there. Let's talk a little bit about Messiev. You were here with me earlier in the year and all was looking rosy in the garden. How is it going for you? Uh, Messiev is going very well, yeah. We've got our winter term starting um, this weekend. I've got uh, Friday morning and Saturday morning classes and I've introduced classes for under three years which I remember you thinking the last time was kind of mad but it's I remember fun. looking at you <laughs> and taking my glasses off slowly and saying what yeah are you really up for this are you are you up for it rushing under trees yeah so it's 18 months to three years parent and child class on Friday mornings in Ballsgrove and on Saturday mornings and I only have two spaces left available because people are interested so there you are it's going well it's really good fun and Mm. um, the children get to do a lot of hands-on activities and the parents pick up a few cookery tips as well well that age category certainly sums up mess chef with them because that's what they love but seriously they are the very creative from a young age aren't they and they love to be involved you capture that interest while they're there rather than trying to I suppose get children interested later on any any parent of a toddler will know that they just love they drag the kitchen chair over to the counter and they want to help (laughs) and I suppose I want to try and help parents find ways that children can help safely in the kitchen and of course we keep saying it we need to teach them from an early age to be able to do their own bit and Absolutely. prepare their own food and understand what it's all about. Yes. Tell me this, how are you faring? You know, I know you worked for Odlums, we talked about this before, Nature's mm. Best as well. And now to be you, <laughs> just you, self-employed. Oh, I love it. <laughs> no regrets. <laughs> no regrets it's at all. It's quite different, isn't it? It is that you're your own boss. Yes, um, but I suppose uh, my family, an awful lot of my family are self-employed and it's not something that I would have been afraid of doing. And I went into with open eyes knowing that there would be long hours for a little pay and all of that. Mm. I knew that. But... um, it's yeah, you're doing your own thing. It's it's you can really feel pride in the work you do, and yeah, flexibility, which is brilliant for have, when you have a small. Family. And you're all them roles rolled into one, just mm, you and just nobody me. else, not answering to anybody, making the decisions. Listen, <laughs> it's it, it's not an easy ask either, and it, it, it's a it, it's challenging. I, I can understand that at times, but you're doing really well. Um, how important are groups like Network Ireland? Because I saw you writing about this oh, yeah. lately to you as somebody who's sort of on their own in business. Oh, they're brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. The local connections with other, um, especially other women in my own position who have small businesses who are working from home, even just to have those quick chats where you can go, yeah, I know, I know, trying to, you know, do your invoices while your three-year-old is trying to press the spacebar button on your computer. Like those, you know, just even to have those conversations and know that other people are in the same boat, but also to get the really important contacts, the tips, the um, recommendations. That's It's fantastic to be part of a network, yeah. And you feel part, you know, in a big organisation, you saw that yourself and then you're in a a solo role. Um, Another thing I wanted to say to you just before we finish up, I I want the recipe for your mother's homemade chicken soup. (laughs) Is it that good? It is that good. Is it really that good? (laughs) It is that good. This woman has been waxing lyrical about this soup. Did she give you all the 
the, the gen. I think all I could the, go fully vegetarian apart from the chicken soup. I couldn't. I don't think I could survive never having that again. Without it? Yeah. It's good. that good. It's a good hangover cure. Is it as well? Oh, <laughs> I hope you got that little whisper there. You might share that with me because we love yeah. our chicken soup. I have my own particular recipe, but when I saw you writing about this, I said, I want to ask her when I see her next about it. Mm. And the other thing, on the other side of the world... You're a lover of Japanese food, are you? Oh, yeah. I love Japanese food. We had sushi last night, actually. I made it at home last night. Edamame beans and uh, sushi rolls with crab meat. The kids love it, actually. Is it hard to get children's palates in tune with that? When you think about it, a sushi roll is just rice and we had crab meat or tuna. And the seaweed. Now, the seaweed seems like a very challenging thing, but it's usually people find it challenging if they've never tried it. It's just another green vegetable. And yeah, it's really, when you put those three things together, they taste delicious. It's really not that challenging. Now, when people think of Japanese food, they think of big platefuls of raw fish. And yeah, okay, that texture can be challenging and the idea of it can be challenging. But that's not all of Japanese food. The the parts that I cook at home would be the easier side. Yes, you know. but you know Irish people, when you say, oh, raw, you know, yeah, our palates yeah, here, yeah. you know, incinerate the steaks. <laughs> <laughs> Get that fish, the chicken has to be nearly, you know. Yeah, yeah. Well, so it's cooked. important to cook the chicken. <laughs> I do know that. I do know that. But you know what I'm talking yes, about. Yes, I do know. We yeah. are on the other extreme. We do, yeah. But we're getting there, you know. Mm. Sure, Dublin is absolutely bursting with um, sushi takeaways now. It truly and I is. wish Drogheda was as well. <laughs> well, now maybe there's an idea. Yeah. Bing! Somebody <laughs> listening today, there's an opportunity there. But look, fish I love. And I, I have to say, I, I've eaten uh, or eaten raw fish in the past, especially mackerel, yes. uh, that I used to catch. I'd catch them around, oh, or I'd bring good. them home and just marinate fish. them. Yeah. Marinate them in a little tiny marinade. Yeah. And my well, word, there, that's like nothing ceviche. nicer. See, there, yeah, we were ahead of our time. Yeah. We were ahead of our time. <laughs> anyway, good luck to you, uh, you with Mess Chef. And it's Ballsgrove you operate. Ballsgrove, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and you can find me on Facebook. I'll have the website launching at the end of the week, by Great the way. Great stuff. Mess Chef, <laughs> Facebook, website on the way and former Airbnb host Roisin Matthews lovely to meet you again thank you very much Jerry. my next guest is a former post office man who served from 1954 to 1996 primarily in Navin Liam McCarthy didn't hang up his boots work wise afterwards or certainly creatively because he's most notably known for recalling the life and murder of another Navin based post office official called Thomas Hodgett back in 1921 and I'm delighted to tell you Liam is with me on late lunch this afternoon you're very welcome to the show thank you thank you for joining me and may I say first off congratulations to you tell us tell them about the award you've just picked up well uh, a recent awards in the private place in the the Ashburn area of Mead County Council I was awarded a volunteer of the year totally out of the blue unexpected you call it anything you like I could have put my head under the counter (laughs) but however it's a big honour to get and the people that I work with they deserve it better than I do but thank you very much to Old Gala Crafts Committee for nominating me Ah well deserved a little Bardy tells me well deserved never mind crediting other people credit yourself Liam look Let's go back with you. You were born in County Cork. Where? Born in Mallow, County Cork. In those days, a big railway junction. uh, Trains going to Rosslare, to Cork, to Kerry and to Limerick. All seas now. Before I uh, went into the post office, I worked for a campaign, as it was known at the time, in the beet factory or the sugar factory in Mallow. And... That was an experience. People really only got about six months' work on that. And after finishing in a campaign with there, I was called to the post office. And that was in April of 1954. So you were born in 36. Yeah. And that was 54, you were called to the civil service. Civil would be service, at the time. yes. Yeah. And where was your first posting? First posting was in Mallow. You, when you went into the post office in those days as a clerk, you were called a learner. So you spent some time learning the trade. I don't I don't think it would pass any standards nowadays with modern technology. But however, that was your job as a, as a learner. As soon as 
you finished as a learner, you were posted somewhere else. And I remember just getting my posting two days before Christmas Eve to go to Wexford as a temporary telephonist because they had no... They had a surplus of clerks at the time. They were going... They were making the Morse code redundant. So we were... A large number of us were reassigned to jobs in the telephone exchange, which was expanding at the time. And the uh, I was posted to Wexford where I spent about two years in Wexford before I was reassigned to a position in Navin as a post office clerk. OK, so and that's Navin would be then where you would spend... Na- Navin, Navin is my home for, since 19... The, first, the 10th of May of 1958, I came to Navin and I'm there since and I hopefully be laid to rest there. <laughs> my, oh my. A talk, wonderful town. Oh, talk about uh, transcending the decades in just a, a few few words. But isn't it, isn't it ironic really in what you say? Morse code was finishing. Finish. Recruitment was on the up in the post office. Yeah. And look at the way we've gone full For, circle. Gone around to full say. circle too. Nothing. Unbelievable yeah. now. You know, no yeah. telephonous thing of the no past. No telephonous really. mails dropping. Yes. No, no more telephonous. Mm. Big asset to every town in, in Navan. By the time the telephone exchange went automatic and that, there were nearly, I think, nearly 80 telephonists in it, which was a big income to a town. Now, a post office clerk in Navin, you started in 58. Star- arrived in Navin on the 10th of May 1958 and took up duty on that was a Saturday evening. Got off the bus in the Market Square. Uh, there was two bus services going into Navin at the time. One was the Great Northern Bus Service and the other was CIE. There was a little difference in the rates of... <laughs> Of, for the fares. <laughs> so you took your pick, but I remember, I distinctly remember the 10th of May 1958 getting off just outside what was then Matty Crinion's, uh, Matty Crinion's Hotel in, Matty Crinion's yes. Hotel in, in, uh, in And Mara. where did you stay? Had your lodgings or what? I was assigned to lodgings and I remember uh, Eddie Duffy's place, 20 McDermott Villas, I had digs. And uh, Eddie had a little shop just directly opposite the post office on Tremgate Street. And himself and uh, his brother were there. And I was told I was going to the best effing digs in Navin. <laughs> <laughs> and where are they? Uh, they, were, they were OK. <laughs> I, I, I moved, you can say I, it's I a long out, time I, ago. I moved out after a while. But. <laughs> And you, <laughs> you moved, and, and, and those were the times that you were, that were in it. Yeah. Yes, yeah. and 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 it, all those years, then you spent from fifty eight until you retired in nineteen ninety six in Navin. No, I no, I retired. In, no, I didn't retire. I, I was a promoter up the ranks so okay. over over a number of years. Yes, and in nineteen ninety two, I was promoted to head postmaster in Sligo. Ah, so never, never left Navin. Commuted to Sligo on a Monday morning. Go out of that. Left Navin at seven o'clock, was in the office at nine o'clock until half five, and I had uh, accommodation in Sligo, and I was there for for about a year, nearly two years there. Okay. And I was then asked to, would I do a temporary assignment to Dunleary? And I... I never, never refused any job. <laughs> I thought it was bringing me nearer home, which is what I love Sligo. Sligo is a mm. wonderful county. Mm. And at that time in 1992, it wasn't near as popular as it is now. And I always felt that people went to Mayo and went to Donegal, they just passed through Sligo. A wonderful county. You had everything in in, in the county of Sligo. Mm, and a lovely town, Sligo Hello, town and itself. And beautiful. Yeah, beautiful town. So you went to Dunleary then? Went to Dunleary on a temporary assignment of six months, but ended up there nearly two years. And I'll tell you, that was a kind of a Calvary of a place as well. Was it? <laughs> Tough place mm. because customers, when you could do, talk on a one to one with customers, you can solve problems. But most of the customers 
the quality of customers in the Dunleary, general Dunleary, Black Rock area, all had a direct line to the chief executive at one post. <laughs> and you, you got the stick at the other end of it from him, from him to know what was happening. So I'll think of Dunleary in future as a rock and a hard place yeah. you're stuck between. I know what you're saying. There's people there have lots of connections right lots up the line. And that posed you difficulties. <laughs> so, you know something, though, I want to say to you, Liam, being a postmaster and a chief postmaster is some title to have. It's a very prestigious title and was in Ireland. Well, it was, but Jerry, the strange thing about it, I was the last head postmaster in Sligo. I was the last head postmaster in Dunleary. And when I moved on to the next place, Mullingar, I was the last head postmaster. The grade is gone. Jeez, like you brought down the court and everywhere, Liam. <laughs> <laughs> when they see you coming, they say, oh, no. Well, <laughs> I'm only joking. <laughs> Jerry, <laughs> Jerry, a few years before that, Paddy O'Brien was a postmaster in Navin and he had, he had an appointment with John Hines and and apparently we were called in and what, and he asked him, when you, when you have all these places closed, sub as he was talking about, what do I do now? Close the door after <laughs> Absolutely. And Heinz, of course, was the CEO Heinz of the post. At that time. Yeah, he yeah. was. He was. But you did go eventually in 1996. I went, moved to M- uh, Mullingar. Yeah. And I had my mind made up that I was going in my 60th year. Now, it was a little bit over, but I, I hadn't reached the 61 at this stage. So I retired from the 60. I said, there's life after the post office. And I spent 42 years in it. It was, no, it was a wonderful place mm. and a wonderful experience and everything else. And I'm very grateful to have had that job, which is no longer in existence. Mm. No civil service jobs are in existence anymore. My, oh, my. What a wonderful job. Tell me about your life on that in Navin. Did you, did you uh, set up, you set up home yourself set, there, set family? Married my wife. She, she was a telephonist in Enniscorthy. Ah, you see, the LP and T people, <laughs> they had great love for one another as well as the job, you know. The, the, joke, the joke is that she followed me to Navin, <laughs> but there was, a, there was a bit of both. In Where is she from? She's from Enniscorthy. OK, so Wexford woman. And, you're mar- and, uh, and, and we're married 57 years now. <laughs> congratulations. Have you family? Seven seven children and 17 grandchildren and a few great-grandchildren. I'm losing track of the names. Well, why wouldn't you with numbers like that? But the flock grows day on day. But tell me this. When you do end your association with the post office, on post as it was, for you, Liam, that was the opening of another door. A a new life. Yes. I answered an ad on the Mead Chronicle and an accountancy business in Dunchoclin <laughs> interviewed me and I got it from my experience. I, I never became an accountant. I would really make that clear. But I was good at the old figures and good at the old books and that. And I uh, got a job in the accountancy place part-time, suited my own hours and everything, and carried on there in the in the Muldoons in Dunchoclin. And anyhow... Of course, that didn't end there. That was only part time. So we, uh, some local people in Navin had organised a history get together, and we did a little course in Navin in the library in Navin. And arising out of that, then I had a little bit of experience in local history and that, and I saw an opportunity to do a degree in Minute. So I did a, a degree in local history in Minute, and. Got my old BA out of that, and <laughs> I wasn't ambitious to put it at teaching or anything else, but it was an ex- another experience, change in life. Because, Jerry, every day you live, something new comes into your life, and you learn something new every day. So that, and even the day you die, that's got to be something new. <laughs> it certainly is. Well, listen, don't do anything for the moment. <laughs> Sit there, Liam. You're yeah. such an interesting man, isn't he, folks? Yeah. What a lovely man Liam McCarthy is. And I, I'm sure many people know him from Navin. Do you remember him as a post office clerk and then he became the boss there? If you have memories, if you know this man, you can always get in touch with us. 086-1800-658. That's 086-1800-658 by text or WhatsApp or you can call in on 1850-715-958. Don't go anywhere because Liam McCarthy has written brilliantly about a man called Thomas Hodgett and we're going to talk about it next.
Now, you mentioned going back and doing your studies and you're a founder member of uh, the Navin Historical Society. Yeah. And this man, you, I want to focus on this for a minute, if you don't mind, Liam. Uh, this man, Thomas Hodgett. He was a post office man like yourself. Tell, me, tell us a little bit about him. Well, Thomas Hodgett, very strict man, came for very strict times, was born in Dungannon in 1866, uh, came up the ranks again in the post office and arrived in Navin around October of 1917. Now, this uh, was when Ireland was one, I, still part of the I, British Empire. Ireland was part of it. He could, be, he could have been assigned to some place in the UK or Scotland or anywhere. We're trying to get back to that again. <laughs> <laughs> in a way, if in Boris a way. says his way. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know what will happen. Well, anyway, he arrived in Navin. He arrived in Navin. Very strict, I'd say, disciplinary. I don't know, but all postmasters were... Which, only one man that I came across wasn't, before myself, was a man called Jim Eggleston in Avenue. But Jim Eggleston would have worked with Hodgett and that. And, and really? Fellas, postmasters, a post, postman like uh, Jack Jack Bryan from Academy Street, Pat Bryan, who had been a father of Paddy O'Brien, postman, they would have worked with him. Unfortunately, I never discussed Hodgett because, when, as I say, I was young. And in love with Bernie. <laughs> we we had other things on our mind. Not it was history. Only, only later life, history came into it. <laughs> and however, I set about... Thomas Hodges was murdered. I, I never even heard the word murdered in relation to Thomas. I knew anything about it until I started doing a little bit of local history with the Historical Society in Navin, which I'm very grateful to Richie Farley and Etna Canfield for being involved in it and the other members that were there at the beginning. However, Hodgett came to the fore when I was doing a little bit of general post office history and this man was murdered. Now, the question, who murdered Thomas Hodgett? The who's who of it? Rumour was around the town that by spread by the police that he was murdered by the IRA. Total total untruth and uh, people would find it very hard to say why would the police murder him Thomas Hodges was a, a, a he was an orange man part of the orange society uh, and had got into trouble a question in, in the British Parliament had been raised about his membership of the orange order he was a Church of Ireland man so there was no reason why he why would the police, the people who were all his associates and that... OK, so the finger pointed at two, the Republican movement or his own people. And I just want to yeah. remind people, he was murdered on the 18th of February 1921. He was abducted from his home, killed, and his body dumped into the River Boyne. Body, he, at around one o'clock in the morning of the 18th of February of 1921, police people who were disguised, but was in, in Grace Hodges, his wife, who was a wonderful woman. In in her in her own words, she blamed the police from, from day one that they, they called out. He was came down, answered the door to a call, he was told get dressed and first of all he had a candle, remember in those days no lights, no street lights or anything else, and he was told get dressed, so he got dressed as quickly as he could. He went out of, of the house with two boots on him. Well, he had some clothes on him, but two boots were unlaced. And he was hooshed up Bridge Street uh, by the what is now the New Grange Hotel, then the Russell Hotel, where the police had been drinking for hours in it. Military fellows from, 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 mostly from around Drogheda, but some of them were even from Dublin and that, and they had been drinking in there. They claimed in their statements later on that they had left much earlier than, than that, but even in a few minutes they had left. But however, Hodgett was brought up to there, I believe, and the a, a lady called Mo- Molly McNally made a statement at one stage that he was exchanged with other men in the Russell Hotel. I'm not, I'm not sure of that, I can, but I can accept that that possibly happened. Pulled up 
Lord Street. Passed by Timmons's Hill, if anybody, if the IRA wanted to do it, would have brought him down Timmons's Hill and over what's now generally known as the New Bridge, put him into the, the buying at that point, but they didn't. They brought him up into the Market Square and down Watergate Street, past what was the, now the, or the ex-town hall in Watergate Street, and brought him past that. It was then the RIC station. Nobody but nobody had the sound. Brought down to the bridge, shot, and he was, body was... Dumped in the river. Dumped in the river. He wasn't found for five weeks. Wasn't found for five weeks. They dragged the river, was, the river was dragged by the police and that arranged by the police that it would be dragged. How much dragging they did, I don't know. But I can understand, it was win- remember, it was winter time. The weirs used to be released there at night and the heavy flow of water around, so it wouldn't be unusual that they didn't find the body for five weeks. But they found it. Now, was anyone ever charged with his murder? Nobody. Nobody and and but what was called for the he was found on Good Friday, on Easter Saturday. The uh, there was a call for an inquiry into it. The, no inquests were allowed at the time, and this in, was a court of inquiry that was ordered. And military were in charge of the court of inquiry. The interviewed a number of witnesses, including Mrs Hodges, where she had been entered in her own house at Academy Street and made a long statement about what actually happened at the house that night. And others were interviewed, a few of them, the police. One was just, scratch, you scratch me and I'll scratch you. And what was the verdict? The verdict was uh, heart failure and a, and a shot. But nobody ever convicted. Nobody, but nobody ever. And, and the the, inqu- the the result of the inquest was just as I'm saying, shot and hemorrhage. Really inconclusive, you have to say. But, yeah, but the, the the inquest, you see, in those days, Jerry was as well. It was in the mortuary at the hospital mm. in Avon. A decomposed body was put in front of you. Yeah. And two of Thomas Hodgett's children, uh, Henry and... and uh, Bessie, I think it was, uh, had to go over and identify their father's body lying out there in the decomposed Can you imagine state. after five weeks? The horror of it. The horror of it. Yeah. Well, why was he killed? He was killed because I believe, and from the information I got from family, was that he was listening in on a call in the post office. Now, Telephonist did all of that. But the important thing, you don't tell anybody that you were listening. Unfortunately, he went in on the call and told some of official from headquarters in Dublin who were on to the local RIC station in Navin and told them, so I've given you all of that information. He went home and told his wife what he had done and th- between the two of them, they knew he had sealed his death one. Shocking, isn't it? No, he had been in trouble with the police before because mm. the police had been robbing a few post officers and that. And and one of the, the head constable Queenan's uh, daughter was working in the post office and she changed a number of post orders and that that had been stolen. And he tried to reprimand her and that. So there was a bit of friction between between him and, and the police. Mm. It's it's an horrendous tale, and it was aired. It got airing on RTE last week. This got, didn't it? It was done on a documentary in uh, under uh, a son, the public to, in, in Irish Farm. I was interviewed for that by Parry Driscoll and that was done in the Church of Ireland in... Yeah. Oh, my God, Liam. a very very good programme. You're getting your days in the sun. Listen to this. A total gentleman, Liam, is. Remember him well as a child going to the post office in Trimgate Street, posting packages for a neighbour many moons ago. Wishing him well. Lovely to hear him on your radio show, says Marie. And there's more messages there for you as well. I just haven't time to get to... Anyway, I, I take it you're working... Are you still working or are you, you, did you put that aside? You're not working now. Uh, no, no. I'm nearly 84. <laughs> <laughs> but it's time to step back. Hold on a minute. <laughs> Bernie has Nothing a lot of, would surprise Bernie me. Bernie has a good few jobs lined up. <laughs>
<laughs> Nothing would surprise me about you, to be honest with you. But you, of course, you're working away at your well, passion, this history and genealogy. Yes, <laughs> yes, absolutely. Joined, well, I've joined the men's shed and sleigh. <laughs> Holy God! And he after saying to me a minute ago, he's he, this man will never stop. There's always something on his horizon. Listen, thank you for popping in to join me today. I'll see you again, Liam McCarthy. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Right, Jerry. Thank you so much again. Mrs. Doyle and Father Ted, Libby Croker, Shameless, Yvonne Cotton and EastEnders, the list goes on. She's one of our national treasures when it comes to stage and screen. Good afternoon, Pauline Midlin. Uh, good afternoon. I'm delighted to hear I'm a national treasure. <laughs> I'd be pig-headed for the rest of the day now. <laughs> <laughs> and you deserve to be, may I say. Oh. Thank you for joining me on the show today. Well, it's it's marvellous to be here. Do you know what? Sometimes it's just marvellous to be alive, isn't it? <laughs> uh. I know the feeling sometimes I wake up at that early hour, Pauline, to be honest with you. But let me tell them something else. You are a patron of the Little Hill Animal Rescue and Sanctuary. Tell us more about this. Yeah, that's right. Um, Little Hill are based in Kildare and I think are now becoming famous for hen rescues. Now, hen rescues, I hear some people ask, well, um, these would be laying hens uh, that we uh, rescue out of all sorts of farms during the year, but every 18 months there is the mother of all rescues and that's the battery hens. So we go to uh, quite a small commercial uh, producer, I must say, um, who keeps his um, his hens in cages in barns for a year and a half and at that stage uh, the little ladies they take a little break from laying their eggs so if you have many thousands of hens in your cages you can imagine if even half of them stopped laying then you're thousands down every day um, now they only take a, a moment if you like in hen terms just to kind of reset their bodies you know grow their feathers back all of that and then they'll lay again uh, so anyone who rescues one of these will have a laying hen um, for many years to come but it's just that they're not commercially viable so Little Hill uh, go in and we, we take them out of the cages and um, we travel them around the country so that they can be adopted um, by people who'd like to keep hens and you know it's it's a win-win situation for the, the hens and for us and for the people well that's three wins win-win-wins um, for everyone who takes them because you know I think these days everyone's really concerned aren't they about the planet yeah. and about where their food comes from you know in, in this way you would know where your eggs come from because they'll be coming from the hens that live in a coop in your garden and you can put them onto your table and know that they're cruelty free they're absolutely delicious and you're feeding your family the best of things so you know in that way you're making your own little stand there's no carbon footprint um, from them uh, so and they'll give you lots of fertiliser for your garden (laughs) (laughs) Pauline having Little Hill the most wonderful patron an advocate in you, I have to say. Well, you- I d- look at I'm I'm mad enough that some of the hens, if the weather is very very cold, now it's not as cold as some of the rec- rescues we've done, but um, a lot of these hens and a lot of the ones who'll be travelling this weekend and next weekend um, are quite baldy looking, um, and the reason for that is that of course they've been in the cages in a barn, they've never seen uh, outdoors, they've never been outdoors, and all of their energies have been put into just laying um, commercially. For the last year and a half. So a lot of them are quite bald. So when they'd be very baldy and there'd be snow on the ground and the whole lot, I've been known to knit little jackets for them as well, just just for when they're out and about and before their feathers grow, um, which is like, when you think of it, a divine madness. Of you know. No, I always knew from Father Ted days, you were that insistent with the tea that knitting hen jackets would have to be part of Mrs. Doyle's repertoire. Well, isn't it the truth? And I like to think that she has a few little rescue heads out in the in the walled garden of that um, craggy island (laughs) (laughs) but you know Pauline I know exactly what you're saying because I'll let you into a little secret Um, we're joined each uh, periodically on late lunch by a wonderful lady from the Knoll called Nikki Kyle she's our organic gardener but she rescues these hens like you mentioned right and I was up with her recently there recording our November feature and she has eight ladies and I saw them when they arrived Exactly as you described there, right? No feathers, bald. Pauline, you'd want to see them now. Oh, Fabulous. 
takes no time. It takes no yeah. time. Yeah, that's right. And they honestly, they're the they're great crack as well. I mean, they all they want really, I'll be honest with you, the hens are very curious and great fun. But what they'd really like is if they could move in with you. Um, like, I mean, into the house with you. Um, you know, to sit on the sofa with you. They'll take a cuddle. Um, you know, and they all, it's extraordinary once you get into any of this. Um, they all have their own little personalities, um, you know. Yeah, and, and if you feel something warm arriving, it's either for the pot or the pea bed outside. You know yourself, That's it's right. one or the That's other. Right. Now, I would say to anybody, like, you know, who's taking them, be sure that you've got somewhere very safe for them, um, for, you know, dawn till dusk, um, or d- dusk till dawn, I mean. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.